I V M. Hello everyone and welcome to Triangle of Fans. With the NBA restart date soon approaching, we analyze the favorites, the challengers, the trades, the wishful draft picks and everything else here at Triangle of Fans. This is Monish uh, and I'm here with Nishant and we'll do a lot of this. In today's episode, we'll look at a team that has gone under the radar quite a bit after their Western Conference Finals appearance, the Denver Nuggets. the home of the two j brothers you could call it jamal and yokich that's going to be an interesting team to analyze because they made a dream run the last season in the bubble can they repeat it or do they need to make moves that to repeat it or even go better than that on today's t and move segment we'll also look at two under the radar players i would say that's going to be interesting to talk about serge ibaka and bogdan bogdanovic stay tuned Hey Nishant, what's up? Evan, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, you did a good job with the Boston Celtics. I heard that, and it was it was fun to hear. Yeah, I heard myself for most of the episode, <laughs> and that wasn't fun to hear. And then the editing after that. Well, I'm here, and let's talk about uh, Denver Nuggets, home of two two of the most exciting players. I would say, not if not the most one, two of the most two of the very two very exciting players. I would say Jamal and Jokic, and they kind of entertained us all through the bubble. Uh, they created history in fact coming back from 3-1 from 3-1 nice back to back yeah back to back and never heard of before what what do you think this team has to look forward to i mean can they repeat their run from last season it was kind of a dream run do you think they are good enough to repeat it or do they really need to improve and buck up and teams are going to be stronger this year yeah i think the core is good enough to repeat it i think the only well they have two pieces really to solve right but mm-hmm. before we talk about their draft picks and their trades and all of that and how how they can improve their roster The first problem for them to solve is free agency because they have a bunch of free agents coming up. I think Jeremy Grant is a is yep. a free agent. Millsap is a free agent. I'm sure I'm missing someone. They've got like a couple of more. Yeah. Tory Craig. That that need to be. Yeah, there you go. So uh, I I think the first thing to do always when you have a squad where multiple key pieces are free agents is you've got to solve that first. Um, and I'm not saying they absolutely need to retain all of them or any such. I'm just saying figure out that piece. so that you know who you have and then you'll know who you need and then you go into the market also sometimes the sign and trade isn't out of question what if one of these players that's becoming a free agent is someone that you want to sign but then trade because that's an asset that you can then use but you can give them a good good contract uh, that kind of entices them to to sign either way the first problem to be solved is these loose contracts that's a loose end to tie up first mm-hmm. and then then figure out where to go from there and these are key players right jeremy grant i think was invaluable to them defensively last season yeah and it's the one hole that he helps plug which Michael Porter Jr can't Michael Porter Jr is a great scorer natural um he's pretty good at at uh, cleaning the glass but defense is really not a strong suit it's something he can learn in the future but right now it's it's almost like borderline zero so that's where jeremy grant became such a key asset as they made those deep 3-1 comeback runs mm-hmm. so that's a player that they look to retain uh, milsap is another key player he's not irreplaceable but he's someone that is a part of their core team that it'll be great if they can retain him so that they can then focus on improving either the two guard spot or the or the wing position right so that's where i'm at with this team do they have the talent to run it back i i think so i think they can do even better and if i honestly if i were in the front office in denver right now i'd look at this team and say the ambition really is to pick up a chip in the next 3 years if the team really is that good you can build there and they've spent a good half a decade or more building this up they've not cheated the 
it's not like Philadelphia's process. They've actually done this the right way. They went into the draft. They picked up great value in the draft. Pieces that, okay, Jamal Murray was a top 10 pick, but Jokic wasn't. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other players that they picked up weren't. And they, they did a great job, I feel, of identifying what they needed scouting the right talent and getting them even deep into the draft. And then they've built from scratch. So this is last year a team that wasn't put together through any fancy trades. It was built from scratch. And now they're on the cusp. And now they've got to look at some some more street smart moves, some, some maybe free agency options, maybe a trade. But they've done the tough part. They really have the core foundation to go for the chip over the next three years. And the ambition really should reflect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like you said, they have a franchise player now in uh, Jokic. They have a probable future all-star in Jamal Murray. They have a brilliant talent in Michael Porter Jr. We'll come back to his part a bit later. Now they got to fix up the Jeremy Grant issue. He was brilliant in the playoffs when he was guarding all the tough guys, right? He was doing all the dirty work out there that kind of enabled Jokic and Jamal Murray to go do their part on the other end of the court. So Jeremy Grant is an important piece, like I said. And they have the other guys, Paul Millsap, Tori Craig, Mason Plumley. Do they need to retain them? That's a different issue altogether. But coming back to Michael Porter Jr. here, what do you make of this guy? Because uh, he was amazing in patches. And then on times when he had to do some of the dirty work, he had to do some of the defending, he kind of went missing, right? And then he made that press conference. He went to the press conference and said how he was unhappy that he was not getting enough of the ball. So he's kind of an interesting character. How do you think he fits into this Nuggets piece? Because he could be seen as a valuable asset that probably could be traded off for something bigger that they want. Yeah, he also said some pretty dumb stuff about uh, the coronavirus and also the Black Lives <laughs> Matters movement. But I think all of that can be attributed to just being young and inexperienced and just a little bit of that college grad stupidity that that everyone's been through at that age. That That's largely something that you can do away with good leadership and, and coaching. And that's something that can be ironed out of a player. And if I've not made this painfully obvious before, let me do it again. I'm a big, big fan of Coach Malone in, in Denver. I think he's one of the best coaches in the, in the league and I expect great things from him going forward. So these are all the softer aspects that I'm sure the coach can deal with and, and the right leadership can solve. What I see in Michael Porter Jr. is an outstanding offensive talent, a natural born scorer, reluctant to sometimes play a role. I think he thinks of himself as a bigger star than he is as of now. And it'll he's dangerously close to falling into that Victor Oladipo conundrum of of playing for a month like the best player on the planet and thinking he is the mm-hmm. best player on the planet. Now, Michael Porter Jr. wasn't quite at that level, but I, but I really think he rates himself a little higher than he should. He's got the skill, but what makes a star is consistency, not just the skill. And that's something where he is still unproven. I think he'll learn. He'll learn to be a better team player. He'll learn to play a role until he becomes the alpha. He wants to, which is great. Nobody can ever fault ambition, but he's got to prove that. And sometimes that means building from scratch, brick by brick. If he can be a better role player, I think he's a great asset to have. Now, defensively, he is a liability. But with that kind of scoring ability, I'd take that gamble. Mm-hmm. He can start from the bench. Maybe he can be worked into the rotation. But I'd take that gamble with that uh, scoring ability. Which is why once they wrap up there, I feel like that's why Jeremy Grant being brought back is is invaluable. Because in games where you really need a defensive presence, they can start Jeremy Grant and have Michael Porter coming in off the bench with that scoring energy. Once they do that... What I'd really like to see Denver do is then strengthen their either or add a two-guard or a wing, mm-hmm. but one that can defend. And that really kind of rounds out the the picture for them. But Michael Porter Jr. is a critical part of that. And at least this season, I don't think he should be traded. Mm-hmm. They should they should really see what his ceiling is, what he develops into, and then see if he's really good enough to continue. 
or if he's really good but not a great fit for them then he becomes that much more of a of a trade asset value so i think this season's got to be one where uh, they really explore what his ceiling is what his uh, best capabilities are and then they figure out whether they want to keep him or uh, trade him now that he's a little more valuable as a trade asset with uh, jamal murray with jokic and uh, michael porter junior to an extent and the other guys they have they're almost at the brink of reaching that luxury tax limit right now that makes things interesting because they can't really um, they've not really paid the luxury tax since 2009 where they also made the conference finals do you think that's something that they'll be willing to do now now that the you call them a chip contender in the next few years and they'll look to invest a little more uh, pay the luxury tax but do whatever it takes to get them that bit or that piece that will propel them to the chip yeah i think so i think for the longest time they the last time they paid the luxury taxes probably when melo was around mm-hmm. that's a big contract to to carry i think they've done the hard part like i said they've built from scratch without going overboard without signing a bonafide superstar they've built from scratch from the draft from small trades and small free agency acquisitions and to a point where they're now a genuine chip contender mm-hmm. and this is in a stacked west that we're talking about them as a as a chip contender the the ownership has shown great ambition but they've also shown patience to trust the process to stick to a long term vision i'm pretty sure they've factored in that at some point they'll need to pay the luxury tax to uh, when they really get to that level and it could be when they're resigning a superstar that they've molded it could be when they're making a big move to bring in a, a marquee player or a highly paid asset uh, to get them that closer that much closer to a championship but i'm sure uh, someone with this much of a long term plan i'm sure they factored in luxury tax at some point so if they feel they're they're a chip contender i wouldn't be surprised if they don't mind paying some luxury tax um with uh, jokic you've seen that he's a world world class player he's you saw it before the bubble you saw it even the previous season i would say and this year was very kind of peaked with jamal murray though is kind of interesting isn't it he was averaging around 15 18 points a game before the bubble began and once the bubble began he looked like a different player altogether he was getting 50 point a games in consecutively against the utah he was scoring he was taking uh the clippers to the <laughs> to the dogs and he, he kind of matured into a different player altogether so is that like a streak a flash in the pan or jamal murray is really here to stay and like i said at the start is he a probable future all star i don't think it was a flash in the pan because there's nothing about it that said he just got hot or it was just streaky shooting and he got lucky with the shots this was sound basketball i think we saw some pretty sound offensive play we saw inside and outside scoring we saw finishing at the rim we saw deep threes we saw shooting off of screens pick and roll offense just what everything that you could you could really want from a young guard like that so the nature in which he got those points is what gives me the confidence that this wasn't really a flash in the pan that this can be sustained fitness of course being the assumption and that's true for anyone it's it's the same with both him and michael porter junior it's the it's the way is the number of ways in which they can score and hurt you offensively that really makes them such valuable assets to have and what we saw from jamal murray is the hallmark of any real great player any all time great any perennial um, all star is they elevate big time post season mm-hmm. that's what great players do it's as simple as that you you take any any player that you really respect as one of the best that ever did it all of them get that much better when the playoffs come around because they elevate their game they want it more um, they they amp up the effort that they put in during the game and also they really built for post season basketball when defenses get tight up they get that much smarter at how to manipulate them so 
So I, I'm really excited about what I saw from him, and I think he'll only get better and better. I don't think we've seen the best of him or Jokic yet, just because mm-hmm. of how young they are, and that's what makes this team so very exciting. And that's why I keep saying again and again that this is a bona fide chip chip contender. Uh, this season, though, I mean, with the with the strength of the West returning, uh, the Golden State Warriors are going to be contenders. Clippers are going to be better team. Uh, the Lakers are always there. How would you put the Denver Nuggets in that equation? Do you think they're still good enough to? Like if you had to rate them, would you put them in the top four in the West? I would actually. I would rate them higher than the Clippers. In fact, mm-hmm. I think they're better positioned to go for it than the Clippers. It'll be interesting to see if the Clippers make a couple of moves, some key acquisitions, maybe Rondo. Let's see where they go. But as things stand, as is, I I would rate them higher than the Clippers. In fact, I don't know how the regular season is going to fare, but in the playoffs, I like Denver's chances more than I like the Clippers. I think they're more rounded. I think they have more people who can step up. post season mm-hmm. i think they have more people who elevate their game in the post season now clippers were an aberration last season was an aberration maybe you can blame it on the bubble maybe you can blame it on just these trying times but if this continues even without a bubble if we're going to see empty arenas and games played in empty arenas again I, i'm not very confident about the uh, the clippers i think they were rated very highly because of their mental strength but i think it's their mental strength that kind of gave way in the bubble last this season So I I would put them ahead of the Clippers for now. So my top two in the West are the Lakers and the and the Warriors. And it really is tough to say which one of them I consider favorites because I really am that respectful of the Warriors. So let's just say the top two are the Lakers and the Warriors, and I'd put Denver right behind them. They should be at least, and every move that they that they make should be to ensure that they're right there in the top three contention and strong playoff contenders. Right, uh, that was interesting, and that'll be an interesting season to look forward to the Denver Nuggets for the Denver Nuggets because uh, whenever Jokic is on the court, I think he's an interesting player because you never know what he's going to do. He can pull out the three, he can pass it like he is. If you have to compare it in footballing equivalents, he passes it like he's Zavi or someone. <laughs> he and he can pretty much handle the game by himself, right? So. Is an interesting player. There's a there's a big uh, big rider in the West though. Mm-hmm. All of this is assuming Porzingis continues to be the fragile player that he is, oh, yeah. often injury prone. Yeah, and that the Dallas Mavericks don't make any major moves because if they can improve, if they can get a two-way guard, let's just say a two-guard, somebody in the mold of a Jeru Holiday, mm-hmm. or if they can get a sniper in the two-guard position, even if he doesn't defend. That team is going to be a whole host of problems, especially if Porzingis can stay fit. My my entire logic of picking Denver over the Mavs mm-hmm. is because Porzingis is injury prone, and they they really don't have that third superstar that can partner with Luca. But if they put snipers around Luca, somebody like a like a Bogdanovich or or somebody like a two guard like a Drew Holiday that can go both ways, or even a Pat Connaughton, anyone really. Mm-hmm. The, it really elevates the Dallas Mavs to another level with the fit posing is, but because posing is isn't fit, and right now we don't know who else they're going to make a run for. Denver is definitely better placed. It's, I'm glad that you mentioned Bogdanovich because uh, that's why I want to go next into a stay or move segment. And uh, the first player I have on the list is Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Sacramento Kings. His is an interesting uh, situation because he was playing ahead of Buddy Hield, who's Sacramento Kings' highest paid player, right? And Buddy Heel kind of seemed to be unhappy about it, and they're not going to trade away Buddy Heel. Let's put it out there. So Bogdanovich seems like the guy that they will trade out, and uh, he has a bunch of teams that would be interested in them because he's a good three shooter. He averages around thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent. He averages fifteen points per game, three and a half rebounds, and three and a half assists. So 
pretty valuable player uh, there was a report coming out that bucks uh, who seem to be interested in everybody these days would would make a move for him and he would be a pretty good guy to put around yanis right but like you mentioned the mavs would could do with him as well so what do you think uh, what do you think of the bogdanovic bogdanovic situation let's start let's start with what i think of the kings i think it's one of yeah. the more clueless franchises like it's just a lot of stuff that they do hardly ever makes sense buddy heald is going to be their going to be i think he already is their most expensive player their most the highest paid player let's just say and he's not a starter <laughs> not since january yeah. at least yeah so heald has been benched in favor of bogdan it, i've no i don't i can't recollect too many franchises that did very well with their most expensive player their highest paid player mm-hmm. being on the bench and not being very happy about it I, i i can't think of a success story like that so that's a problem for them to solve then there's the whole issue of what do they do with bogdan because he's kind of their starting player but he doesn't offer them too much on defense so do they want to sign and trade do they want to bring him back and also what are bogdan's options at this stage does he want to stay in sacramento i don't think he's very happy even though he's starting i don't think he's happy with with the way the franchise with where the franchise is headed and i think he's been vocal about this yeah. once or twice so if he's going to move who really is in the market for him there's going to be a bunch of teams that you can think of where he'd be a good fit but are those teams really interested bucks are in it for everyone but they're only going to pick up one or two in the end so would you as bogdan would you would you hitch your hopes to to the bucks bandwagon and hope they pick him up because if i were if i were running milwaukee would i really make bogdan the one guy i need to acquire i don't think so i don't think he solves as many mm-hmm. problems as you would want him to bledso doesn't shoot in the clutch middleton's kind of on and off in the post season but how how proven really is bogdan in the post season that that we're really talking of him as a as an acquisition right so that's a problem especially in a market where there's a rondo or a chris paul available uh, bogdan has off the ball ability he has on the ball ability he can create its own shot all good but the big problem is he doesn't defend mm-hmm. if he were a two way player he'd be a whole lot more valuable than he is right now but he doesn't defend sadly so then what do you do on the box not really an option yes he solves some offensive woes that bledso creates but bledso is an elite defender and bogdan is a zero defender yeah. so not not really a great fit for the box right so you're looking around the league you're thinking who could do with a good three point shooter and a free scorer without while being okay with his defensive frailties there're not really that many teams around mm-hmm. so bogdan's a bit of a, a confusing option really i would look around maybe at say the lakers who have a situation going with kcp do they sign him back because he might come at a premium or do they say all right let's replace him statistically kcp is not at a great season mm-hmm. even in the post season he's hit some clutch shots in key moments which kind of makes him look better than he was but his numbers weren't great in the post season either what he does offer however is some pretty decent defensive hustle which which is something they'll have to give up if the lakers were to make a run for bogdanovic shooting accuracy wise they're largely the same player really kcp and and bogdan but it can be argued that with lebron james creating open looks for you are you really going to shoot the same efficiency as you do in in a pretty hapless sacramento offense probably not he's probably going to be better right so so it's really teams like these that want a sharp shooter from the three and bogdan is under 40% so he's not really like an elite three shooter yet but a good shooter from three and they're okay with his defensive frailties i can't really think of too many th- uh, teams right now so i think the better option for bogdan would be to go ahead go back to to sacramento play another season because currently he's their starter anyway mm-hmm. play another season 
kind of prove his worth. And then next season, when there's going to be a league-wide free agency bonanza, see what he can get in the market. There's going to be a bunch of teams that are just waiting for next season's postseason. So wait until then. Bring up your stock value and and you know take the gambit at that point. I think that that's something that makes sense. If he were to move right now, if I had to pick one team, I'd probably say the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're one team that can kind of deal with his defensive uh, inabilities. But with Luca's playmaking, uh, a shooter like Bogdan, that, that's a that's a mouth-watering prospect on offense. So that that would be the only team that I would kind of force fit him into. But otherwise, I wouldn't really say he's a great option to acquire for any team right now. Next season, maybe has a different story to tell. All right, I think the Kings would be happy to have him back, given that they've not reached the postseason in 14 years, the longest streak currently in the NBA. Uh, the yeah. second player I have uh, on my list is also an interesting uh, scenario. I would say Serge Ibaka. Ibaka is interesting because uh, he's been part of strong teams, right? He was part of the OKC earlier. He was part of the championship-winning uh, Toronto Raptors. And this year too, I mean, he was off the bench. He was an off the bench player, but whenever he came on, he kind of seemed to make the difference. Uh, he was one of the prime reasons I would say that they even pushed Celtics to the seventh game, because uh, when they were out and struggling and not able to get a shot, he was coming in shooting pretty much with uh, a lot of the shot. He was shooting over forty forty five percent and kind of put Toronto in the hunt to upset the Boston Celtics. Given that Toronto were a hapless team until then, and he's a big guy. Uh, he's not. The biggest guy, but he's a good, uh, and he's had the experience of playing in those postseason games and going all the way until the finals and winning the chip is even right. So he would be a valuable add, I feel, in a lot of teams. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, he's an interesting player, but one that doesn't come cheap, and I think really that's going to be the biggest consideration because otherwise, a player who and he's had, I think he's had a career year on. On offense, points per game wise, I think this was his best year, or right up there. Anyway, yeah, he's, not. he's averaged 15, uh, 15 points and eight rebounds this season, so that's pretty good numbers, especially from yeah, an off yeah, the bench yeah. player. Exactly. So he's he's done that, and he's consistently over the last three four years, he's improved on all of the key key stats. He's gotten more efficient at scoring. He's also scoring more, so that's quality and quantity. He's improved his defense. I think this is an interesting number four for the league. And there's a lot of teams that want to beef up their four and five. One of the things that the Lakers win proved is while Golden State made small ball glamorous and sexy, it's still one of the tougher things to pull off in basketball, a chip winning team that plays small ball. And that's what makes Golden State's achievements that much more remarkable. But how many teams really have that kind of a backcourt, which which is essential when you when you want to play a small ball? Two guys that can shoot like that, stuff so so i think what the lakers win proved is that there is still room for the going big approach the stacking your four and five approach easy to say when you've got lebron james on your squad playing like two three positions at a time but still denver came up short against the lakers and lastly the biggest problem for them was they couldn't match the lakers on size lakers were rotating ad dwight howard javel mcgee kuzma Bunch of other guys. LeBron himself is 6'9". And Jokic kind of had to take all of them on by himself. Millsap really isn't the offensive force that that they would need him to be. The Miami Heat, similar story. Yeah. Bam Adebayo is kind of like their biggest guy. And they came up short on size and that was a struggle. Houston Rockets goes without saying, but they, they'd struggle against most high school teams if they have to compete on size. So that's a whole different story altogether, right? So I think there's still there's still some room for players like Ibaka and some value for these guys. 
Now, who really needs someone? I think it's interesting that we brought up Ibaka in the same episode as we discussed the Denver Nuggets mm-hmm. because that's a team that would love to have a player like him. Especially off the bench, I think Ibaka is great to have. If they're not bringing Millsap back, if Millsap's going to sign somewhere else, Ibaka is almost a ready-made replacement, I feel. I think he's a great, great fit to move into that role. What would complicate matters for Ibaka a bit though is he's on the market at roughly the same time as Tristan Thompson. Yeah. And between these two guys, it's a bit of a toss-up. Thompson's more of a... I think both are pretty good defensive presences. Ibaka's a better defender in my opinion. But Tristan Thompson's a much better rebounder. So it's really which of these two is a priority in your role-playing requirements as a franchise. Which of these is a priority? If it's the rebounding, then Tristan Thompson's almost a no-brainer. But if you want someone who can who can kind of be a bit of a two-way player, even if that's off the bench, who can get your 15 points a game and contribute solidly on defense, that's Ibaka. So any team that's really contending for Thompson should be really also looking at Ibaka. I'd actually say Nuggets is probably the best fit for him if Paul Millsap isn't coming back. If I were the Denver Nuggets, I'd genuinely consider what if I let Millsap go mm-hmm. and and bring in Ibaka instead? Would would that elevate or or kind of deprecate my chances? I think Ibaka makes it very interesting. If Millsap's out there and he can get a better payday, which I think he can, mm-hmm. I think they should allow him to move and bring in um, Ibaka, even if that means getting a slightly costlier player. All right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes because he was one guy who actually impressed me. Uh, whenever I seen him play during the postseason last year where Toronto Raptors made the run, during the postseason, just the previous year against Boston Celtics, I think he was pretty impressive. So that's an interesting player and one that I'll be watching out closely for. But uh, that brings me to the end of this episode. It's always great uh, talking these probabilities and analysis of teams with you. We'll keep doing this and Thank you for those who tuned in and until then, until the next time, see you then. See you. Take care.